Welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast with your host, Scott McMahon. Hi, and welcome to the Film Trooper Podcast, filmmaking freedom for the independent. This is a podcast where we focus on making and selling your film for online self-distribution. A perfect way to get started is to pick up the book, How to Make and Sell Your Film Online and Survive the Hollywood Implosion, while doing it. It's available as a paperback, in Kindle ebook, as well as an audiobook. In fact, you can get the audiobook for free when you go to survivetheimplosion.com. When you go to that link, you can sign up with Audible for their free trial and get the book for free. Again, that's at survivetheimplosion.com. Okay, it's been a while since I've got a podcast episode out, but I wanted to give you guys an update of what I've been working on. It's For me personally, I've been busy acting. (laughs) I don't know for whatever reason, uh, this past uh, few weeks have just been very, very busy for me in terms of acting opportunities, in terms of auditions, as well as booked gigs. And uh, there was an interesting um, uh, turn of events that happened this past week where we have a a television show that's uh, shot up here in Portland, Oregon, The Librarians. It's on TNT. I think they're going to their second or third season. And for a lot of local actors, when they get an opportunity to be on a TV show like that, um, it's usually they're, they're the actors that have like the one role, like you know, come up to the um, the doctor or the police officer and say, you know, here's your here's the report, sir. And like they get one or two lines, or they set up, you know, for the main characters to progress the story. So um, the fun thing about these roles is that uh, at least with librarians, um, a lot of their shows are directed by f- famous ex actors. Um, I had an opportunity to audition for the show twice and got a callback twice, and both times uh, the the particular episode was directed by Jonathan Frakes, who's famous for Star Trek Next Generation and a lot of the Star Trek Next Generation films. He played uh, Patrick Stewart's number one, uh, first in command. And he's a lovely man. It was just an awesome opportunity to perform in front of him and then get notes from him, get his direction. Um, Obviously, I didn't get the part. Um, but the cool thing was he did remember me, um, but like the second time I went in, he goes, oh, hey, I remember you. So those are little fun things that will happen. This past week, I had an opportunity to go in for the librarians again and had an opportunity to do a callback audition with Eric LaSalle from ER. Um, he's also in the movie Logan. And so it's really, it was just really cool to have an opportunity to go in there as an actor. You make a choice and you don't know if it's the right choice, but you make a choice and you stick with it. And then you're hoping the director will give you a note to, to you know, bend it the way that they want it to be seen. So Eric LaSalle gave me a note and I made the change and he gave me another note because I think he was searching for what he wanted and made another change in my performance and that was it. And then I get this call a couple days later that says, uh, there's a, something in the world of like acting nowadays in terms of a lot of the networks and so on is they put you on a veil. They don't actually book you for the job. A lot of times they just put you on a veil, meaning like, are you available between these, you know, this week and a half when we're shooting? Because we don't know whether or not this particular character will actually make it in the final cut. <laughs> um, so you kind of have to say, yeah, I'm available. I just, I got to, you know, hang tight. It may happen. It may not happen. And so unfortunately my role got cut. And um, and then I was like, okay, so my week's free and I start doing some other things. And I get a call from the, my agent that says, no, it looks like the, the role's back on. And then at the end of the day, they're like, no, they cut it again. (laughs) So these are things that kind of happen. But in between all this stuff, uh, I've been uh, working uh, on a few gigs. And that's what's kind of put a kink in my schedule with Film Trooper. Uh, So that's what's been going on with me. And if you hear my voice, I probably have a little cold. Um, I do. I'm just coming off a cold. So I got that nasal thing going. 
Uh, this particular episode, I'm very honored to have a fellow podcaster over at Access to Anyone. Uh, this is Michael Shine, and he is a, a, a podcast host with his, he's actually a co-host with his partner, Michael Roderick. And they're based in New York, and they have an amazing podcast called Access to Anyone. And it, it focuses on exploring how any one of us can um, use the power of the ask or the art of the ask to get access to, you know, powerful influencer, influencers uh, that can help propel our career or our self-improvement or wherever we want to go. And they kind of cover a lot of different things, you know, internet marketing, different type of marketing, the arts and so on. And I happened to be a guest on their show uh, just a few weeks back. And so I was very honored to have that opportunity. And so I was really excited to get Michael on, Michael Shine on, because when we talked off air, um, we connected a lot in a different uh, different ways. And so in this particular episode, you're going to get um, some really good nuggets because he's a copywriter or he was a copywriter and he's taken his his know-how of writing and working in digital marketing and marketing in general to create a company called Microfame Media. And um, we'll talk about a little bit more about that in this podcast episode. But what you're going to hear is some great tidbits about how to uh, handle uh, copywriting or headline writing. So say you're trying to write an amazing blog post or a catchy headline to grab people's attention about your film. So we kind of, you know, workshop that a little bit. And so I hope you guys can take a lot of notes away from that or, you know, tips from what he has to say. But also what's really impressive is really or courageous or crazy is that those of you who follow the internet marketing space probably know of uh, Gary Vaynerchuk. Well, Michael had written a article for Inc.com or Inc. Magazine where he basically just says uh, why Gary Vaynerchuk is flat out wrong. And that, you know, was controversial because this is someone who's very influential, who's an interesting person to sort of, I don't know, you know pick a fight with. <laughs> but you'll hear more about what that all entails uh, later in the interview. But um, I've talked enough. Uh, let's just cut to the chase and get into my interview with Michael Shine, uh, you know, podcast host of the Access to Anyone, as well as the uh, CEO of Microfame Media here on the Film Trooper podcast. Can I ask you, what you, from all the guests you've had on or on all the conversations you've had, um, have you seen a common thread in terms of, I guess, what, what makes uh, you know, certain people more successful than others? It's like as you're trying to like maybe decodify and figure out like how, what do they have in their DNA or, or steps that they're using um, that, that benefit them better than others? You know, it's interesting. It's um, I'm going to answer the question in sort of a roundabout way. Um, I I notice that I don't know how long this has been going on, but this quote unquote networking thing that we naturally touch on because it's called access to anyone. And it's about how you can get access to the kind of people who can help your career. You know, so many people that we talk to say in one form or another, you should give without expecting to receive and this sort of thing. And while I think that's true, and I, I very much practice that, it's really interesting how there's a difference between the people who say that because it's kind of in the networking handbook, <laughs> but it in in truth, they're, they're, they get very, very frustrated when people don't come back to them with, with, with something else, or, or even more, like they'll scream at you you know i i i was once um introduced to somebody not someone on our show but introduced to somebody who was apparently this great quote unquote connector 
And he said to me, I have three questions for you. And I forget what the two first were, but it's like, what can I do for you? How can I help you? How can I this? And then at the end, he gave me a pitch and he's this great helper, you know, or whatever. So I think the thing that the people have in common is that they really kind of live in the world in that way. And it's not part of this kind of mechanism of networking or jab, 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 right hook or anything like that. It's that they just sort of enjoy being around curious, creative people. They have this knack for being the person who people are happy about when they pick up the phone to call them versus like kind of doing this, like I'm going to help, help, help so that I can karma will reward me. I'm, I'm babbling a little bit. This does no, make sense. Yeah. Actually it's, it's interesting because in LA, you know, I'm growing up in Southern California and, you know, working, uh, between like San Diego and Los Angeles, the, the, Hollywood is like that. LA is totally like that in a sense where uh, I have a lot of friends down there and they'll be the first one to say, I was just actually having a conversation with my wife about this. We were talking about La La Land and you know how bittersweet that ending was because you know they they make a choice of you got to go for it. If you, the career opportunity happens, right, go for right. it. But you might sacrifice the love of your life. And right. the thing is, is that a lot of my friends down there, they will say like, it is uh, very difficult to date in that town because everybody kind of knows the MO. Like, you know what? You're yeah. here for your career. I'm here for my career if it works out. But even at parties, it's like a given. Like you quickly scan. And I was at parties before where I didn't know the MO. And I'm these girls were just asking and go on. Are you an assistant, you know, writer? Like they just wanted to know, like I need to get all this information from you first to decide, you know, how invested I want to be talking to you. Yeah. So. <laughs> yeah. And well, it's funny too, because I guess there, there are some people that I've talked to who, who they really view themselves as connectors in the Malcolm Gladwell model. And it's almost become like a job title. Like you can sniff the questions from a mile. They never say, how can you help me? It's always, how can I help you? Am I being of service to you? Can I give you value? And that's coming from a good place. But it's, to me, it seems a little phony. It's a little, I'm going to get in trouble for this, but it seems a little phony. It seems like you have an MO. Whereas like, for example, there's this guy, um, Ben Michaelis, who I've gotten to know. And he's, he's a, he's a psychotherapist who um, spoke out very early about Donald Trump before people took it seriously. And as a result, he got on all these talk shows and things. And he does this thing called the uh, um, one minute diagnosis. And he has all this really neat stuff. So uh, so a mutual friend of ours invited me to a breakfast with this guy. I've never I had never met him before. I show up and it was like all of these like big wig people at this intimate breakfast, <laughs> 10 people just who were all friends, like the, the editor in chief of Psychology Today, big, you know, book editor, um, John Ronson, who who is has written all kinds of big books and things. Mm -hmm. and then I met with the guy, Ben, and there's none of that. I mean, it's kind of like, hey, you know, we had an awesome conversation in this. End. And then he made a referral to me, not because it was the thing. I got to make four referrals like BNI. He just thought it was a good fit, you know, and then I hooked him up with something. And now we're kind of buddies. And it's just how he like lives in the world. He likes being around interesting people. He likes being around cool people. And as a result. People like flock to this guy and it helps that he's awesome at what he does and his ideas are great. So I guess that's sort of it's almost like this higher level of, of person living in the world who, who really gets access. Not that they're a better person, but they've become really curious and open and interested versus having like a networking MO, which is a great MO. I love that. It's a, that's a great <laughs> they, they be the people don't have an MO that I think are the most successful.
There, that's it's a good point. I, a lot of the successful people that I've listened to or follow, they like they go, they harken back to that one book uh, by Dale Carnegie. You know, right? You know, what is it? How to Win Friends and Influence yeah. People. It is. It's a good. It's good. Yeah. Yeah, it's like um, like we'll go back to the playbook. As, yeah. As age old as could be, we are just dealing with people, and I know that. I know, like a lot of listeners here, the being independent filmmakers, and I, I kind of coined the, the the term like uber independent because we yeah. have there's different sections of people working in the studio system, and then there's people that anytime that's outside the studio system, it's a friend a friend of mine, Scott Kirkpatrick, called it uh, uh, indie Hollywood. So you're dealing with international film markets. So it is still kind of playing in the same field, even though you're not maybe directly funded by the major corporations or the six major studios. Right. Then, then it's like this new birth of filmmaker, the Vimeo filmmaker, the right. ones that totally have the different. camera. Right. And now we're, we're spread out all over the world because everyone has like the latest, greatest camera for under, you know, under a hundred bucks or under a thousand bucks or maybe under five thousand bucks. Right. But we're seeing just like so much content. But now these filmmakers want to know like, well, what do I just make it and go to a film festival? And, and what are the things I need to know? And it seems like most people that have responded to Film Trooper are ones who, okay, I've, I've made one film or a few films, but I, I want to know a deeper question. Like, how do I get more people to watch my stuff? You know, and how do I, and then like, what's the next, you know, process of leveling up. And I, I love the fact that a lot of stuff that you do also with your company, actually, tell me more about why you started or how you started you know, the, your consulting or digital company, or I guess it's a digital agency, a digital agency consulting company. Yeah, no, I mean, it makes sense that you don't know how to describe it because it kind of evolved. It's kind of this weird <laughs> animal that isn't really any of that, but all of it. Um, well, you know, it's it's funny. I mean, I, I never wanted to own a business. Um, you know, I wanted to be an artist of some kind. I mean, I've been writing my whole life and I still do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I then moved into playing music more from the writing point of view. I was a pretty awful guitar player, but I think I wrote kind of OK songs and did that. And, um, you know, life came into the picture and I uh, got a corporate job at one point. I did pretty well there. Um, and for a while I was learning a whole bunch and I got into marketing because I could write and because I had some of that strategic mind. And after a while though, after a few years of it, I, I really probably should have moved on, but didn't, you know, it's the kind of thing where you're making enough money that it's hard to leave. Um, and that sort of thing. And then eventually I, for a variety of reasons, I got up the courage to leave. And the only thing I could think to do was to become a freelance copywriter. And I didn't do, um, hard sales stuff because that's not what I did at, at work. I did like what they call demand generation, like white papers and eBooks and web copy, things that really built a brand, you know, mm-hmm. for, for business to business. I did that for a while. And when I first started, I almost went broke. I mean, it was really rough. I, I, um, you know, I had a little bit of money saved up. I blew through that very quickly. I had an infant daughter. It was like the worst possible time to, to oh. do this, this thing. But um, I tried cold calling. I read this book about sending out direct mail letters from the 90s, but it was supposed to be this classic, you know. I sent them out. I got some leads. I got zero business, all of this. So I had to figure out another way to do things. So what I started to do, um, and and I think it's because I'm sort of fascinated by, A, A, and this is where access to anyone came from. I I, uh, really do, I am one of those curious people. I, I like interesting people. And two, um, I'm really interested in in the concept of hype. You know, um, we were talking a little bit before the show about how um, about music, and I really like 
punk rock. And I think about people like Andy Warhol or um, who wasn't quite punk rock, but he was kind of, you know, an influence. And um, Malcolm McLaren, you know, the Sex Pistols manager and how they were so good at sort of drumming up this interesting kind of attention. So I did a little bit of that. I, I, I picked a very, very narrow niche and I started to sort of position myself as what you might call a micro micro celebrity, <laughs> the opposite of an uber independent filmmaker, an uber micro celebrity. And it started to work. And but what I realized was that um, I was offering more value by teaching other people like consultants how to do the same for them, because for a consultant or someone selling their ideas, mm-hmm. the difference between, say, I don't know, there's a million financial planners, right? And they all go out and they hustle and they bust their backsides trying to get clients. But then there's Susie Orman and she doesn't have to hustle for work and her ideas are no better than anyone else. But she has, you know, controversial points of view and she has she's mastered the media. So I started doing that on a small level, um, not a small level, but for clients on a more micro level where it wasn't across every network. And that was sort of the the, that was the breakthrough I, I, I began doing. So we work with consultants and we, we, you know, everything from books to setting up literary agent deals to podcasts to helping them connect with influential people who can spread their message. And that's where the access to anyone thing came in. I was using content, not just to build a big following, but to help people connect with the sort of influential people that they needed to grow their, their business and their you know, persona. So yeah, it was this kind of interesting things, a thing. A lot of consultants needed this. No one was really doing it in that way. And that's what happened. Okay. So yeah. So I was reading that. Yeah. You were going to be, you're working on this new book and hype and, and, and on top of that article that I read, it's, you were able to dissect, I guess, dissect sort of what makes up like successful sort of um, drivers of, of influence. And you said not only was a book like everyone had a book, <laughs> then then everybody like the, a podcast was a great form to show authority or for a niche or to you know for that particular consultant or um, brand. And then you talked about like the new people, like the the, the the influencers, and like and I know for filmmakers they're all looking like well, you know, the interesting thing about filmmakers they go to like film festivals hoping that someone will discover them. The, the, you know, grant them, bestow them some wonderful riches, like and say, I think you're an amazing filmmaker. Let's make the next film. Anything you want, here's money. Um, and it's interesting because a lot of other in the world of the, these fi- film festivals, a lot of them, because there's so many of them right now, they're just like a place where other filmmakers meet other filmmakers. And then there's a point where some filmmakers look around. I know, I remember a guy was looking around going, all right, I'm I'm done making filmmakers. I need to meet like the money people, the producers, or anybody <laughs> here. And I'm I was thinking like, no, not here. You know, there's only a, a slew, a, a few select places where you go. And then listening to a, another set of friends that have access to that world, where they're working and playing in that field of just, you know, business people selling films. They could be the same business people, but in a different industry, selling cars, you know, selling other different widgets. They just happen to sell film. And there's only a few people like that they see all the time, you know, all these new upcoming artists and filmmakers and they got to wade through it to see who's serious. So that's what's curious of like what you discovered or maybe some techniques that you've seen with access to anyone. How does someone be tact, you know, tactful about it, but also sincere? Like how do they get to that place where I, you know, I, 
authentically want to get to meet some, I want to level up. I want to meet some money people or influencers. So when I'm making my film, like this is a great fit. Um, is there anything that you discovered that uh, maybe tips or something you could share with us? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I, I mean, you know, you, you hit on one problem right there. <laughs> I and mean, there's so much here. And I'll, and I'll just start with where the actual tactical piece. I think where people go wrong is they do just that. They, they sit in their hole and they create their product and their movie or their script or their, you know. And then they go, I got to go out and meet some money people. <laughs> so when you're going out and trying to meet rich people with money and they know you're a filmmaker, the guard goes up. I mean, that's I mean, Michael Roderick says this. It's like your fight or flight reflex immediately goes up. This person wants something to me and you can sniff that out. You know what I mean? And it's it's a little bit offensive. You know, it's like, do you only love me for my money? I mean, everyone feels that way. Right. It's like this person wants something for me. What I think is find people who are successful well before you need something from them and start building the relationship with them then. Um, so I am interested in books. I've always been interested in books. There was a time in my business where we did not have anything to do with literary agents or anything like that. But I became friends with literary agents and editors and things like that and other writers and people in publishing for two reasons. One, those people are interesting to me because I like books. And two, I, I figured I'd want to be in that network one day. Now it's paid off. Yeah. The, you know, the other thing I think is that you got to see the world through their eyes. So people think their ideas are so great. They're going to find a money man and pitch them um, or, or schmooze with them at a party and someone's just going to make all their dreams come true. Well, these people are pitched all day long, you know, and they don't really need that. So think about what they do need. They need their egos stroked. They need exposure. They need to meet other people that are interesting. So one example, I mean, this is a great technique and I think you do this very well. Let's say you start a podcast or let's say you have a column or let's say you have a blog you know, find the 20 people in your industry or some other industry that's important to you, VCs, investors, whatever, that you really respect, who's really, who've really worked on things you think are cool. I don't know, try sending them an email that says, hey, we're profiling the 20 um, most innovative film investors, you know, um, of the last five years. I respect this, this, and this about your work. I have a podcast or I have a blog or I have whatever. I'd love to interview you. So what are you doing? A, you're showing them that you know that your stuff. You're appreciating them. You're you're giving them exposure among, I don't know, let's say you're younger than them among a young audience. Who doesn't want to be recognized? You know, and, and then suddenly now you have a relationship. It's not about um, networking or finding an investor. I mean, we did this. We have a client yeah. who runs a media podcast and 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 we got the the um you know the director of photography of pixar danielle feinberg to to respond to us in in two hours and she said it's so wonderful to be recognized i'm always behind the scenes this is someone who has a ted talk yeah yeah so i don't know that was a good episode for sure oh yeah. you you heard yeah, yeah. <laughs> i'll make sure to put the links in the show notes yeah <laughs> but but we really respected her you know what i mean i mean we really did feel she was one of the top 
you know, yeah. people. Not only that, we didn't we weren't thinking, how can we use this person? It's just that if you're surrounded by these kinds of people, it's about being in the right in crowd or the right click. It's not about I'm going to work this person so I can eventually ask them for money. It's not about that. It's like it's like. Remember the old thing? It's everyone's, oh, the old boys club. It's who, you know, well, start your own old boys club, you know? Yeah. Let me ask you, let's go to the dark side of that in terms of yeah. like the, because the, I've been in situations where I, you know, here's this person, they have amazing credits, they have the access to money and, pow- you know, influence and power and stuff like that. And you realize, like, what do you do for listeners getting a load of this, especially in the, in the film industry, when you come across something or someone where you're like, yes, they represent like the, a level up, but oh my gosh, I personally don't want to be friends with this person. Like, you know, like the, the ethics. Then don't. Yeah. Then don't. I mean, seriously. I mean, really. I, I, I don't. You got you to gotta be a human being. You know what I mean? I mean, it's kind of like... Uh, you see someone, you, you, you go in a, you pick someone up in a bar and they're really good looking and you really want to, you know, have sex with them, but they repulse you in their morals and in every other way. <laughs> there are other fish in the sea. You know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's going to end, it's going to end badly. I have a lot of friends. I had friends that were working, like they were working on something and they were working with this like high net worth people and uh, things were looking bright and like like it was moving forward and then all of a sudden like in the, the same circle like like someone just coughing or clearing their breath will say the most racist thing you know and it's just like one of those things you just kind of they just went oh yeah. god why oh you know <laughs> you know what though and i even think i'll go a level up from that i'll even say focusing on people with money is the wrong way to go because if if you're going just to meet investors and people with money, they all know that you're gonna try to get their money. I think you should just focus on people who are connected and who are influential and who are doing great work and who are powerful, you know, because those people will connect you to the money people. I mean, I'll give you an example. I I have a very good friend who didn't start out as a good friend. I, I read his book when I was in my corporate job and it was fantastic. It was a published book, successful book. I moved to uh, New York again after a, a long distance, you know, a long absence. I had a panel that I was hosting and I invited this guy from Twitter onto the panel. Didn't want anything out of him. I wanted to know him because he's he's a successful person in his industry and he's interesting. I thought I could learn something. His book is funny. I got to know him. We have a lot in common. We go to dinner probably once a month. We've become close personal friends. Never really got anything from him. Got a lot of good advice. Last week, he told me he had someone interested in, you know, a producer slash investor for one of my most meaningful projects. Now, I didn't court this producer and investor. I I became friends with this other guy. Yeah. Now, that doesn't mean hanging out with your buddies from high school at the bar, you know, who work in a – I mean, do that too. Yeah. But that's not going to, you know, there's a balance, you know, but I don't think you just have to – go on this massive push for for a sugar daddy you know right right it's interesting that way i did a a podcast episode called 10 ways to improve your luck as a filmmaker and all it was it was it was simply the scientific um uh the scientist approach to luck is like they don't see luck they see high probability or low probability yeah and like everyone can increase their probability if you're 
putting things in motion like this. If you are, you know, befriending someone of influence because you respect their work and just because your probability increases. I know that um, uh, Roderick's um, like person he would love to have access to would be uh, J.J. Abrams. Right. You know, and his whole story of like the people he works with. Um, he's been working with a lot of talented people for a long time. He just likes to meet a lot of talented people. And then because uh, wherever he's going, sometimes he just grabs like, okay, yeah, why don't you do like the 10 Cloverfield, like the director who had done digital media, right. like, you know, advertising stuff prior, like way back when, you know, so. Uh, That's how I see it. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, you know, the right place, right time, who you know, but who you know sometimes just has to be nurtured for a long, long time. And, uh, yeah, you just want to be in those circles, be in this, be in, you know, have a scene as James Altucher says, you know, I mean, yeah, (laughs) I mean, I'm going to spin it a little bit now because I know that you mentioned that you were working as a copywriter and uh, copywriting is really fascinating to me not because it's like the shortest form of like, um, telling us a story to some extent. I, I love that. I was, you've written for Inc. Magazine and, uh, your headlines are bonkers. It's like, oh my god, these are so good. <laughs> no, thank you. Because like, if you, I have it up. I have like a, your web page open up to it. But it was just like I was reading down like the line of like all the head, like the articles you've written for Inc. And they're just perfect. You know, like you thanks. Know, thank uh, you. It's just like you know, things like want to be more successful. Ask yourself this question every morning. You're like, okay, you know, you you you. That's <laughs> clickbaitable. Like that headline's gonna right. make me click. Um, you know. Tell me, tell us, like, for a filmmaker who's got their film online, you know, maybe they're selling it on Vimeo On Demand or uh, they're going to be putting on Amazon. What, you know, what kind of Twitter headlines or like a blog headlines? Is there a formula or something you've seen that is uh, some tactics that we can take away from the art of copywriting um, to help us promote our stuff? Because the worst thing is, God forbid, is most filmmakers to say, check this out, check out my latest trailer, check this yeah, out. <laughs> so how do you how do you combat that with the great copywriting? I, yeah, I mean, I think there are formulas because human beings re- respond to the same stimuli in the same ways. I'm sure a lot of your you know listeners have heard of the hero's journey because so many script writers use that. And that's basically this universal structure that you can plug a million details into and the shades of gray or the rainbow that you can put into there is is infinite. And I think copywriting is similar. So the one you just brought up, I mean, think about what makes that headline clickbaitable or or compelling. It's that it puts a mental question in your head, quite literally in that case, that you need to scratch. So basically Ah. you, you can't resist the the human brain they've done fmri research on this if someone puts a question in your head you need to find out what it is so who what i would do actually the first thing you know there's a book the ultimate sales letter by dan s kennedy it's really hard hitting it's not you know you're not going to get any intellectual arguments but it gives you a lot of those formulas but the 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 people who do it best are the the supermarket magazines Mm -hmm. so like cosmo is really good i mean there's a reason that they have on every cover some version. I, I'm, I feel like I'm talking about sex a lot. I don't usually go around doing no, no, that. It's but fine. you know, there's but sex sells. Yeah, yeah. You yeah. know, 15 sex tips guaranteed to please your man. But it's actually not the sex. So if you think about what that is, their target market is middle-aged women 
who are married. It's not the people on the cover. So you have a middle-aged woman in the supermarket checkout line who sees that, and you notice it doesn't tell you what it is. It tells you the you have to open the magazine to find out what the specifics are. Yeah. So she sees this, and this is a little bit stereotypical, but it's you know marketing is done in categories, not to individuals. It's what if there's just one in there that's different this time? What if, you know, mm-hmm. what if there's a different one in there and I don't know what it is? So you're compelled to buy it and then you open it. It's the same stuff they always put in there, right? So the idea is give them enough, but make sure there's a question that's unanswered that makes them click or open, you know, yeah, open like, like the magazine. Said, that makes sense. Yeah. I really, I didn't, I didn't think about that, but there's just that need to, it's almost OCD. Like, whoa, 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 whoa! You can't leave uh, this open ended. I, I need yeah. to, I need to close this off in my brain, you know, or whatever I'm yeah. feeling. It's evolution, you know. I mean, <laughs> it's it's our it's our human curiosity. It's it's it is a little OCD, but we all do it. It's it's there are very few people who who don't have that impulse, which is why we look at BuzzFeed articles that we have no interest in whatsoever. <laughs> you know. Oh my gosh, my daughter's on that app. <laughs> the um. So I guess someone who's like got like the standard genres, they've got like a horror genre and um, they want people to check out their trailer instead of saying, check out this trailer um, or, you know, award winning like a trailer. It's one of those things like there's so many awards being given. Nobody there's no weight to it anymore. So um, I've seen other copywriting headlines such as whatever you do, do not watch this scary right. video sort of Stuff like oh like dare that. me you know dare me to watch that so even something simple as that can make people just go click you know but then you have to yeah. deliver the goods i suppose of course yeah. of course you do of course you do i mean but no i mean that's that's right on i mean you know another one again i'll bring up james altucher again because he's really good check him out his stuff is really interesting he's a good marketer yeah but he has this facebook ad that always says i forget the exact words but it's like what you're about to see is controversial you know, <laughs> and, it, and it's not that controversial. It's a little controversial, but you know, it, it's, I've clicked it like five times. I mean, I, I get fooled every time because I'm half looking, you know, yeah. but the idea is, you know, yeah, implantamental question, but then there's also, right. I mean, there's, there's the mystery, like what, what am I going to see? Another good thing is us and them. So people uh, are very tribal by nature. Um, you know, even, I mean, it's obvious with politics, but sports, um, deadheads, hippies versus punks, you know, um, I'm, I'm a film guy. I'm a video guy. So if you can play on that us and them dynamic, that's that's really good, too. Interesting. There is a there is a very tribal like aspect with filmmakers like, um, you know, you can't you put like a, a collection of films from a certain directors. There's going to be this like backlash, like, you know, just either like praise or like hate. Like it, like certain directors have that their body of work that that will just uh, have people ranting about it in the comment section. But I can see how you can definitely use the us and them versus thing. Uh, that's interesting. So when I first got the ink column, I was it was pretty early after I had started my business, and I I was you know not doing all that well. I was I was doing okay. I was starting to make a living, but you know, but um. I wrote this article for Inc. called Why Gary Vaynerchuk is Flat Out Wrong. Do you know who he is? Oh, yes. Yes, I do. And I'll I'll make sure people know who he is as well. But yeah. So anyway, I wrote this article because I I truly did disagree with a lot of the advice he was giving people. 
and I admire him too. I mean, he's built a great thing, but I, I was seeing this stuff. I, I, I kid you not. When I put this up, I, my hand was hovering over the mouse before I submitted it. Like yeah, yeah, I did yeah. not know if I should submit this thing, you know? So I submitted it. It was the craziest thing. This thing went live. An hour later, Gary Vaynerchuk, first I, my Twitter feed started get blowing up with all these vaniacs, they call them, his fans telling me I was an idiot and I don't believe in hard work and whatever. Then Vaynerchuk himself creates a video an hour later talking about how my article is the worst thing ever and I don't understand and blah, 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 blah. It was the greatest thing that ever happened in my career. It's my first breakthrough. <laughs> I got 50 Twitter followers in a night. Nick, who who, who uh, was my first employee, sought me out because of that article. Now he's very important in the company and has you know done countless things for us. I gained a following of my own because all of the secret Gary Vaynerchuk doubters and people who felt bad about themselves because they weren't tweeting from the toilet at three in the morning and all these things he preaches – suddenly had a new champion, you know, who thought like they did. So, yeah, pick fights, you know. I mean, don't be disrespectful necessarily, but pick fights. Yeah, it's interesting. I was at, um, we have here in Portland, Oregon, uh, with uh, Chris Gilbo, uh, the World Domination Summit. Yeah. And, you know, he had one of his guests, um, but I remember he had this this author, Jeff Goins, um, who's in, in, I think, Tennessee or something. And he's, but he was a guest and he had a really great presentation. But he remember, I remember this very specifically. He said, Look, if you were going to create this tribe or following, you've got to draw a line in the sand and pick a fight. Like, yeah, you got to, like, right. you know, yeah. and that's interesting. I, I can imagine because you're just like, you're like, Oh, I'm in this space. I'm in New York. You know, he's one of, you know, he's huge Gary Gary V and you're like I'm going out I'm going to put this out there interesting just to yeah be contrarian also but have a perspective yeah I did I didn't do it I did it a little to be contrarian but I think don't I sometimes see people do it just to to be they'll write this article like you know why Tony Robbins is an idiot and then you open it up and it's like because he didn't write his book even sooner because he's the greatest person ever. Uh, you know yeah. what I mean? And you're kind of like, yeah, oh, yeah, come yeah. on, you know? So it's got to be a real point of view. But we all have strong points of view. And if you don't, you should get out in the world more, right? I mean. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's interesting. That whole world, um, I remember being at a party at the World Domination Summit. But it was what, that party where a lot of the same sort of people in the online space uh, yeah. that I've been following. But I could, I could literally look at this party and go, oh. You know, based on what they say, that person's making thirty thousand a month. That person makes fifty thousand a month. You know, whatever it is, I'm going down the line, and I realize one thing too. It's like you know, I'm in my forties, and these guys are in their thirties, and I remember that book, the famous like Malcolm Gladwell of um, the Outliers, of simply it does matter when you're born. Sometimes, you know, like yeah, and and I thought about that. I go, wait a minute, what happened in the parameters that like, am I catching this too late? This whole concept of building like an online business or looking at the, like, how are they being successful? And it's interesting. They were in college working, having access to the internet, building blogs. So they right. built their 10,000 hours in where I was already working like a corporate job right. and building a family. So, but when it came around for me to learn it, I'm catching up. 
where a lot of these guys, you know, when they got out of college, the market, the the economy was terrible. So they went back to what they knew and they were able to blog. And blogging finally was able to start monetizing because I remember blogging, you know, if you were trying yeah, to monetize. Yeah, it was just for fun. Yeah, yeah, if you're trying to monetize a blog years ago, it was like seeing like, you know, blasphemy. But Right, right, right. Yeah. <laughs> but those guys collectively, they kind of knew each other. And as a, a handful of them, like I think I remember you guys having a discussion of this on Access to Anyone about where you brought up this thing like these models, these business models of how to succeed online may have worked, you know, a couple of years ago. But I think right. things have changed. Again, right. timing is important. And, and we're seeing sort of um, – uh, the need to, to adjust and to pivot. What have you seen in terms of having that, uh, like the new business models that are that are working now that's outside of that old teaching of the, like this is how you build a, uh, be an influencer or somebody and you sell these courses or these email courses or <laughs> things like that. Um, I don't know uh, what your perspective is because uh, I yeah. wanted to dig deeper into that when I heard you yeah. talk about it. Well, one thing I want to say is while I agree with you that timing is really important, I also think that um, I would caution about being restrictive about it. I think sometimes when people get older, and I've been there too, you know, mm -hmm. um, you can get restrictive in your thinking, you know, it's kind of like, you know, oh, um, well, I didn't grow up with the internet. And for a lot of people, that's true. But for a lot of people, if you're if you're curious and maybe I'm just saying this now, you know, I'm doing research for this book about hype and I'm reading Andy Warhol, the biography of Andy Warhol. And what people don't realize, he was in his late 30s in the 60s. He had already had a career in the 50s as a commercial illustrator and he was really successful. And then he shifted to pop art. So he was hanging out with 20 year olds and, and the Velvet <laughs> Underground and whatever. But he was almost 40, you know? Yeah. So he was just so open, though. He was always surrounding himself with people. He was always learning new things. He was always kind of skewed in his thinking. So, I mean, I think one way to get around it, I'm not sure all the models are broken. I mean, it's funny. I, I spent my whole, you know, career in this business, which isn't really that long, but using blogs and podcasts and things like that a little bit differently. Instead of trying to build big followings, I, I focused on the other side of the microphone and keyboard and used it to connect with influential people and then parlayed that into a following and business. But it's funny, I've gotten very interested this year in information products and I'm actually learning everything I can about that. But at the same time, I'm reading other sources and learning other sources too. So I think it's about combining things because if you read the same books everyone reads and do the exact same courses everyone does, you're not going to get that competitive advantage. But if you learn all that stuff plus and you surround yourself with people doing cool things and sort of cross pollinate, that's, if I, that's when I, ideas come out for me anyway. Yeah. And that makes sense. It. I think I've read it somewhere. It's like this, the concept of limited belief. Like you can't, like as you get older, just you can be aware of like how this group of 30 year olds or something like collectively have, you know, did very well online and have this big followings and they're making a very nice living. And then look at yourself like, wait, what, did I miss the boat? What happened here? So then as opposed to like just being stuck in that saying, how do I break through the limited belief system? Yeah. And then just like you said, be forced to be curious. It's interesting because we're talking about, you know, film, uh, uh, Brian uh, Grazier, um, Ron oh, Howard's yeah. uh, producing partner, had, wrote a book about curiosity and how he's for years before podcasts and everything like that, his own, for his own accord, would 
have tape recordings of interviews of interesting people that he wanted to meet of all wow. all all That's sorts so interesting. of yeah and so this is sort of his book was a sort of a collection of that That's and neat. um that, that uh, everything you're talking to me about it's like that fits in perfectly to you know his whole mo like <laughs> i also think i don't want people to beat themselves up i mean you know like because going back to malcolm gladwell he wrote this really cool article in the new yorker this big feature it was about the difference between um uh early uh i don't remember the term he used like early hits or something like that and late bloomers and he talked about how there's a different kinds he looked mainly at artists but how there's different kinds of thinkers. There are people like Picasso who hit very early, did his best work in his 20s, who has this like fully formed vision and he just like put it out into the world. And then there are people like like um, Mark Twain who didn't write Huck Finn till he was close to 50, which is by and large his masterpiece, who are more tinkerers. They take a while. If they don't come fully formed, if I have this one thing to say, they experiment and they come to it slowly and they use their life experience and this and that. And I think it's similar in business. I mean, I think how many business people and artists and filmmakers hit it young. I mean, look at, you know, Orson Welles, he did Citizen Kane and all those movies in his twenties and we all were jealous of him. What was his last movie? Transformers, the movie, he played the giant planet. I mean, is that how you want to end up? You know what I mean? So I'm sure in, in his fifties, he was miserable, you know? So point being, everyone's on their own timeline. I mean, you can give just as many examples of people who took their time to get there and did their best work over a long period of time. So yeah, that whole idea about, I don't know, I think it's pretty discouraging to compare yourself to the 20 somethings. They may be broke when they're 50, who knows, you know? <laughs> no, no, it's really, I think, I think this is the uh, conversation is important because a lot of listeners feel that might feel that way. It's like, you know, I've always wanted to make a movie, but I feel like I'm, I'm like I'm older than a lot of these young people, right. but I want to make it, uh, make something. And then I'm hearing like, you know, how do I get it out there to get people to watch it, you know, and, and understanding the marketing and, and how do I build my influences? And so I'm feeling like for those who are listening, if you're following that boat, it's like, it's fine. Like, I think that now so. we have, yeah. we can, we don't have to compare ourselves and we can just make our stuff. And there are tools and, and processes that we can use to help get that word out if necessary. And I don't think this is positive thinking BS either. I yeah. mean, I really think this is, I, I think, you know, if you've still got a brain left in your head, you know, there's plenty of time. Life is short, but life is long too, right? I mean, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> I know that you mentioned that uh, the one person you wanted to have uh, access to anyone, like the one person, if you, you could, would be Stephen King. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, you know, with that writing, and it's interesting because if Roderick was talking about wanting to meet J.J. Abrams, um, have you guys discussed the project that Stephen King and J.J. Abrams are working on together? Uh, have you heard about this project they're working on together? No. I think it's basically bringing like their version or St Stephen King's real version of Stranger Things to, to the screen. You know, since really? Yeah, oh, that yeah. would be awesome. Yeah, Although so. sometimes his screenwriting isn't that good, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll see. I, it'd yeah. be interesting uh, the the team the team the uh, the partnership and where that goes. But I just thought that's because neat. when I heard that, I was like, I wonder if you guys have been following that. Anyhow, weirdly enough, no, I, that's cool. Yeah, I um, I've just always um, he was a. I mean, I started reading his books when I was like eleven. I've gone through many phases in, in what I like, but, and some of his books are terrible, but the ones that are, are great are always 
I, I don't know. I just love him. And I, I just, he's just an influence on me. I just want to meet him. I want to sit down with him. And I feel like the world's catching up. When I started reading him, he was looked at as like trash. Like it was like mm-hmm. he sold a lot of books, but it was like, you know, pharmacy type stuff. You know, you would buy at the dry. Now I think like he has some respect among certain quarters. So I feel like, you know, I feel a little bit vindicated. Oh, wow. That's awesome. I saw like the re- <laughs> a, the latest trailer for the movie It coming out. Oh, yeah, it looks scary. It looks yeah. good. But the funny thing was, it's like classic YouTube comments you're reading below and like enough idiots were talking like, looks like a Stranger Thing ripoff. And then, <laughs> yeah. and then everybody was like, you idiot, like Stranger <laughs> Things was a, like a ripoff of all this stuff. So, so funny. <laughs> but um, we had talked earlier about um, your interest in punk rock. Yeah, because <laughs> yeah. you just mentioned that you you play the guitar awfully, but you really like to write and write lyrics yeah. and songs and you know and you know probably very in depth or thoughtful songs. But I love the fact that you said that playing the guitar you weren't that great. Punk rock was perfect for that, you know. <laughs> yeah, well, I, I'm not sure which direction it happened in because I I have all these friends who are now got into other things in indie rock and they're really good guitar players and that's because they got into metal when I got into punk rock so they like had to practice I like basically like learned power chords and I was like okay yeah I can like play everything why do I need to learn anything else you know which was a problem because then I wanted to play other stuff and wasn't so good definitely I am one of my good friends um who lives lives here in Portland um uh he's the screenwriter of The Doors and Mask of Zorro and before that The The Door the movie the movie The 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 Doors Doors that's a good movie yeah yeah yeah. so you'll love the fact that his prior to the one of the reasons he got the gig for The Doors is because he had been working in the punk rock scene you know make uh he was friends with the Minutemen and like and all that whole LA punk rock scene when Black Flag emerged and everything like that so to hear uh, other, you know, people that were interested in the punk rock scene to, I had to, I had to connect you with him. <laughs> you I know? would love to meet him. I heard that, you know, maybe I wonder if, you know, Ray Manzarek produced the first X album. Yeah. That band X from LA. I wonder if that's how it uh, came together. Yeah. He has his whole story where he had written a, one of his first, um, movies that he wrote was called dudes it was with uh <laughs> it was the one of the first punk rock movies they had free really? in it it had um oh, wow the the main villain was the lead singer from the germs i think it was a Germs. oh yeah. yeah yeah so i forgot his name but uh they had crash is that the, yeah. it might have been and then um it was directed by um oh god but uh, so he wrote the movie dudes which is one of the first like punk rock films i uh, had like john crier in it and oh, yeah. flea, but it was directed by Penelope Spheris, who did oh, Wayne's yeah. World and uh, uh, the whole. The, she did a decline of Western civilization. Thank that you. Was, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he was part of that. Very few screenwriters at that time when it came that knew music or had some music back understanding, and so he got the interview. Was he did a tremendous amount of research in terms of interviewing all these different people to uncover the story of Jim Morrison and the Doors. Awesome. And there's a whole like he's. I have to get him back onto the podcast because he was one of my he's my one of my first guests on my podcast. That's so like many cool. many years ago. So it was like yeah. I have to redo it to kind of rehash it. But I will introduce you guys since um, I would love to meet him. Yeah, uh, being a, a a fan of punk rock and being a writer yourself and and you know it might be an interesting guest for your show if you find you find him. So anyway, so I see. Uh, I mean, the the listeners don't see this, but we're talking with a screen in front of us here, oh, and I no. see a bunch of guitars in the back. Yeah. Uh, what do you? Oh, so what's your musical uh, sort of interest? Or I mean, 
nice to meet a you're probably a better guitar player than me but uh because <laughs> you have a couple back there um uh, yeah i i can just do chords <laughs> really <laughs> well, i can do riffs and chords like i i mean i don't have like the um the skill set to do um you know music theory in terms of uh, yeah. like uh, scales and stuff like that but what i like to do my, my background too is punk and but then oh, really? i was in a band uh you know just at least i had that experience of playing a band and play shows along the west coast and um, we just weren't very good, but we just knew we saw everybody else around us become great. You know, <laughs> who did you have? Like, tell me more before we wrap up. Like, what what kind of stuff are you into, and who did you guys play with? And oh yeah, yeah. so we went to school. Oh jeez, Lise. Um, my younger brother went to school with uh, Tom DeLonge, who then became Blink. Oh really? 82. Yeah, really? Blink One Eighty Two. Blink One Eighty Two. Yeah, wow. and then um, there was another band uh, that hit uh, sort of regionally. There was a lot of like punk rock bands at that time there's like unwritten law and things like i know that. them yeah so yeah. They, they, they like no doubt like was just up the street you know and so, oh really in orange county <laughs> yeah because i actually was a roadie for a ska reggae band um called the donkey show and um nice they, name yeah i know <laughs> but they we play i i was i i went to new york and they played at the cbgb's you know with the cool. um so I've been around like ska. It's where you go to ska. Ska would like either evolve into like reggae or they go ska punk, you know? Yeah. So it was like that world. So I was totally into that kind of thing. And there was also this mod scene. So there was like uh, the ska would bleed into the, the mod scene. So the, I like that stuff a lot. Yeah. yeah. The power pop. And um, yeah. but then my band just we hit it when like grunge happened. So either oh, yeah. you were playing sort of like acoustic sort of folky you know, grunge thing. Like nobody knew what their style was. It was just like a, right. a, a really bastardization of everything else that came before it. But that's where my influences came from. And I just enjoy doing the guitar now with my daughter because she sings really well. And the fact oh, wow. that I can just, whatever songs she, she wants to sing or she's singing already, I just want to learn how to play it so that I that's can play awesome. and then she can sing. So yeah, that's my that's, what is, what What is she like? Does she like the punk rock? She has. She's part of the school <laughs> of rock. Um, oh, so, very cool. Which is, that's an amazing story to me, is that franchise is somebody took the concept from the Jack Black movie and said, okay, we'll just, we'll just brand it as a school of rock. And then, then that, that founder was able to then, you know, franchise that thing to like a $20 million franchise. But the experiences that the kids have, they, she just loves it because it's like a club. She just, they, they, they just like to hang out, even though what they do is they learn how to play instruments, but then they do seasons. So she did a season, they did a show. Uh, with all like the Queen, so they they sang all the Queen That's songs, awesome. and but you know the kids are playing all those instruments, they're singing the songs, and they get to play in a real like live club where the adults come and get their beer and watch, watch like a real yeah, show. Super cool. Yeah. So this is a very weird coincidence. Tonight, my client, one of my clients who lives in Woodstock, uh, New York, her name is Tevis Trower. She is playing her first rock show it's kind of, it's not quite school of rock it is the founder's new venture and he specifically taught them so i'm probably going to meet him tonight no way that's how crazy. weird paul green yeah how weird is that amazing amazing <laughs> Well, it's, it's funny. Um, I'm inspired by what School of Rock has done uh, because I also, on the side, put together this Film Trooper Academy, which is like a filmmaking workshop for kids. And I essentially want to love to be able to eventually build Film Trooper Academy to something to be akin to School of Rock, but for the filmmaking side. It's a great idea. So, yeah. But now idea. I just got to put the idea to work and work yeah. it hard. <laughs> <laughs> it's a great idea, though. But I see you have a ton of comic books behind you. Uh, you got Volt 
or is that your own? Are you a comic book? I was a comic book fan. Those are just kind of like posters that I, I found of the old EC comics. But yeah, I grew up really liking them a lot and I have a place in my heart for them. I don't really buy them so much anymore, but yeah, I, I uh, do really, yeah, grew up loving comic books. That's amazing. The reason I brought that up because like um, Dark Horse is one of the, the one of the biggest independent uh, comic book publishers for years. And yeah, they're, they're based up here in Portland, Oregon. Oh, really? Are yeah, they? yeah, yeah. They're, they're they're great. Yeah. So they um, they also have these comic book stores called Things from Another World, and they have three of the stores here in Portland. And I be because my daughter and I show up all the time at the comic book store. Um, we become friends with one of the regional marketing directors, and he pr- approached me, and so about combining the film trooper academy kids to do something for free comic book day coming up may 6. oh wow that's so, awesome yeah so like you said it's an opportunity to like this is, again we can circle back to access to anyone wasn't trying you know i wasn't trying to like um smooth up or level up to like the dark horse you know marketing manager or yeah like that. it was just simply because by curious nature and just being in the, the place over and over time and and showing them what these kids were doing with the film trooper academy he thought that was really neat and on his own accord it was something that came out so it's one of those things like now i'm at this place where i have to take advantage of the opportunity and and follow through right. so yeah but also you came to him as an equal i guess that's the yeah. other thing if you're coming to people with your hat in hand begging for money that's a lot different than coming in as a peer because it's just another human being and then friends help each other out right so right, i think right. that's another thing it's a lot less stressful quite frankly yeah interesting so i know we can wrap it up it's a friday and yeah. you know you got kids i'm going to the school of rock yeah i love it i love the i'll follow, I'll follow up with you how that went as well as i'll introduce yeah. to my friend randall johnson i think you guys that's might awesome. really have a, a lot to talk about i'd and, love to meet him and i really enjoyed this this was a great interview well, thank you so much. I got tons out of like the, the copywriting tips. I was like, oh, that's cool. Let me think about that. Oh, I'm so, glad yeah. to hear that. <laughs> so very, very cool. All right, Michael, I will follow up you later. And I really hope you had a great weekend. And I'll talk to you soon. Thanks, Scott. Talk to you soon. <laughs> okay. Bye now. So that concludes my interview with Michael Shine of Access to Anyone. Uh, be sure to check out the podcast. Uh, again, just Access to Anyone. And uh, you can, you know, listen to my interview if you want. <laughs> anyway, I want to make an apology to my friend uh, Randall Johnson and his film Dudes because I was talking about uh, the actor they used in the film. Um, I was mentioning that he was like the front man for the germs and I was totally wrong. <laughs> so I need to correct that. Um, it was actually the, the front man, the lead singer for the hard, uh, uh, hardcore punk band called Fear. Uh, Lee Ving and Lee Ving was the main villain in the in the film the do in dudes so um, I want to make that correction <laughs> anyway um, if you enjoy this episode think about leaving a ratings and review for me over in iTunes it's greatly appreciated and of course if you've been sticking around uh, with this podcast for a while you know that I offer a free gift over at freegearguide.com just go there to freegearguide.com and you can get an equipment list of everything that I use to make a feature film for $500 without a crew. Again, that's at freegearguide.com. Thanks again for checking in and sticking with me with my, my nasal uh, cold. And I will see you next time. Film Trooper. Filmmaking freedom for the independent.